for our podcast with Emmanuel. After a long and busy start to the year, I'm glad to be finally back. Before I delve into today's topic, let me first thank all of you who listened to the first two interviews. And I'd really like if you subscribe and leave a review that helps us grow and get heard by others. And if you're listening to us for the first time, you're welcome. You can go back and check out those two interviews and I believe that they will be of good use to you. And so check us out on Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud or various other platforms wherever you get your podcasts. Now down to today's interview. One of our goals here at RitWire is to critically examine issues dating religion, politics, science and culture. Now one of those issues that certainly crops up in religious discourse in Nigeria and in the world is the prosperity gospel. A few months ago, I came across an article on Steers Business titled Who Prospers from the Prosperity Gospel in Nigeria? And so I sat down with the author of the piece, Ife Otebeye, to dissect this topic and to, you know, critically examine it. We had our disagreements, but I believe that it was an interesting conversation. And I also hope that you will find this useful. And so, enjoy the interview. You are listening to the Late Wire Podcast. Yeah, so how, how did you sort of get into the prosperity gospel thing? So, um, I mean, I think I've always been really interested in religion as a whole mm-hmm. and sort of the, the impact it has on people or the influence it has on people. And as a sort of frequenter of Instablog and all these other, you know, channels, you, news channels even, you see a lot of things that, you see a lot of, you know, headlines with, you know, mm-hmm. pastor. South Africa tells congregation to eat grass or, you know, you hear stories of, I mean, you hear stories of people who do, you know, incredible things for their churches just because they've been promised that, you know, God will give them some sort of reward. For example, I know somebody who gave her first, was it it first seed or something? It was her first salary in January, you know, new year, new month. She gave her entire salary to the church. And then she came to ask her boss for an advance in salary after she'd just been paid. Mm-hmm. And her boss is like, you know, why are you asking for? Didn't you just get money? And she's like, oh, all the money she's gotten has gone to her church. And this is somebody who hasn't paid rent. She hasn't paid her kids school fees. They haven't thought about what they're going to eat in their house. But then their pastor said everybody should bring money and, you know, God will, God will replenish their pockets. And so it's this sort of question on... Where is the line between just common sense and what your religion is demanding? And I think it's something, it's a conversation that's worth having because we hear lots of stories like this, not just not just in Africa, not just in Nigeria, but across the world. And I just thought, you know, it was an interesting conversation to just have. Why do you think that so much people sort of subscribe to the prosperity gospel in Nigeria? I think not even just Nigeria, just globally. I think there's two there's two things. Just I mean, I'm no expert by any means, but just from an outside point looking in, I think it has its attraction in that one, it's a very easy sell. It's a really simple sell because the main tenant of prosperity gospel is that, you know, you basically God wants all his followers to be rich, right? He wants you to be prosperous, he wants you to have the best life. But this will only happen if you, you know, follow certain tenants like tithing, if you give to the church, if you donate, if you have, you know, if you profess positive confessions, etc. So there's something about it that's so easy. You don't have to do that much, you know. You just have to sacrifice your money. You have to, you know, 
be very devout in your belief and God will bless you. So it's an easy sell, one, I think. And then two, there's also the message of hope, right? And especially in areas of just like massive depravity, whether it's on, you know, financial or whatever, there's, there's this message of hope that my circumstances can be turned around. And I think as human beings, one of the things we desperately, one of the things that keep us going really is hope. And prosperity gospel really hits the, the nail on the head when it comes to this. And that's one of the reasons I think it's, it's so popular. There's something about this prosperity gospel and it sort yeah. of reveals what lies are. You know, some of them are half-truths. Yeah. You know, as a Christian, I absolutely believe that God wants his children to prosper. Yep. But the question is, what kind of prosperity is that and how mm-hmm. is that to be attained? And so there is this half-truth that he wants you to prosper. And so when that is sold to people and, mm-hmm. you know, the delivery, as you said, the whole thing and how desperate people are, suddenly yeah. have straight to them. It sort of becomes, yeah, this is what God wants me, wants yeah. from me right now. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a massive believer in it, you know. <laughs> I'm not a massive believer in this notion of prosperity gospel. I mean, I think this prosperity gospel, the, the niche of it, it takes it to a different level, where it's financial prosperity that's at the core of it, you know. They're not talking about spiritual prosperity or spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. God builds that for his people too, but this is it's all about money, give, and you'll be times too richer. And it targets, often targets, you know, the poorest of people sometimes. And it does nothing for them because, like the example I gave earlier, this woman basically had nothing. She couldn't pay her kids' school fees. She couldn't pay her rent because she had given everything to church in the hope that, you know, everything would double-double, which it obviously did not anytime soon for her. So there's this line between being a scam almost and, I guess, just being you know, a message, another Christian message. But since this this just doesn't attract the poor, but also the rich, why do you think people keep going to it? There seems to be a sort of pool in it that is yeah. that's beyond what we can see. But what do you think sort of is so attractive in it that people keep on going? I and think... if this is January again, I'm sure some yeah. people might must have sold certain seats. Definitely. Ah, plenty. Plenty your service. Yeah? Um, so I think I think the you know, it draws people from different stru- social stratas. And I think because one at the core is still is still God, right? We all still believe I mean they all still believe in God, you know, they all still believe Jesus died for their sins to a certain extent. So the 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 foundation of Christianity is still there right? So people still believe they're worshipping Jesus, right? It's just this added message. Now, for the rich, you can you can hope to get richer. You know, this notion of you're in control of your own destiny is something that that is such a huge attraction to a lot of people. For the poor people who are still there, you have, I mean, you have testimony time, for example. This is something just from my experience going in there, and often why I wonder, you know, why do people still buy into this. You see people giving testimonies that they did what the pastor said. I sowed my seed in the beginning of, you know, first day of January. I didn't eat. My family and I were looking for what we used to eat for the next three, four months. Nothing came. But by August, you know, this happened and millions of naira came into my account. 
So there's all these stories of hope. There's all these testimonies that I think keep people believing, regardless of what level you are. You can always attain more because it's very simple. All you have to do is give to the church, believe in God, pray, and hope for the best. It doesn't matter how, how rich you are or how poor you are. It's a message that can still appeal to you. So I think it's something that definitely works. It's, it's almost a system that has been, quote unquote, proven to work. And many people justify that it has worked for them. Even pastors. Pastors will tell you or tell their congregation how they have followed the same system and it has worked for them. And obviously, if you have people who are looking up to these, their spiritual fathers, and their spiritual fathers are telling them, you know, people who they admire, they're telling them that this has worked for me. Of course, you beat it, regardless of how rich or poor you are. So long as you believe in Jesus and you believe in your pastor, you always believe it. And I also think that's sort of born out of mm-hmm. the idea that God is like an ATM, you know, you put, <laughs> yeah. in, you put in your card and, you know, key your four pin and yeah. it comes out. So it's yeah. like, okay, he's a magician. I give him this, it doubles it. Mm-hmm. I think that's another idea that people have of God. That sort of, you know, he's going to keep going. Yeah. He's going to, in the end, give me what I want. Yeah. And it's it's tricky. I never really... Because personally, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in, you know, this system of gospel. But for people who believe it, I, I often try to just listen to understand where their head is sort of at. And I don't think it's something that would ever convince me really because it just doesn't make sense because God is really not an, you know, an, an ATM, as you said. And I think a lot of these people sometimes, it's just, they use the same scriptures, you know, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, shall men give unto my bosom or something like that. You know, it's always been, it's always those passages. What about salvation sometimes? What about sanctification you know what about all the other things jesus preached about it's always find your divine destiny unlock your you know prosperity today i mean i get it it's a crowd puller right it gets a lot of attraction people will come to unlock their divine destinies or whatever but then it's do you lose sight of what is really at the core of christianity or what i think is at the core of christianity because of course different people they have their perspectives on what that is. So do you think that this sort of makes the government less accountable? Now, this is what I mean. Since people sort of think that you give to the church, God blesses you. Now, you ignore the fact that the government should be, you know, chief source of, you know, wealth creation in a sense that provides the right environment for jobs to come out of, for businesses to travel. But since the church... You know, giving to the church can give me all these things. I don't really need to hold the church and the, the government accountable. So, so, do you think, in a sense, that this is part of why you know the government in Nigeria and all that is not really held accountable? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this could be a case, even on an it's sort of on an unconscious level. Like we don't exactly see the Nigerian government. You know, um, what's the word I'm going to use now? We don't see their, we don't automatically point their feelings to prosperity gospel. It's not something we will naturally do that. Oh, the church has said this and it has caused this. It's sort of really this unconscious realization that I just sort of thought of when I was writing this article. Because one thing I found interesting when I was doing my research was that by the time neoliberalism 
or by the time neoliberal philosophy started to spread into Nigeria, this was around the same time prosperity gospel also started to spread into Nigeria. So when the Nigerian government started to transform from sort of a, you know, welfareist led state towards a, you know, private sector, you know, self, you know, self governance type of system, if you know what I mean. That was when mm -hmm. prosperity gospel came into place. And they both work because prosperity gospel tells you that you are responsible for your personal successes or your personal feelings. If you are thriving, it means you are definitely right with God. And if you are not thriving, you are doing something wrong and you need to fix it either by, again, giving to the church, praying to God, positive confessions, you know, holding your faith stronger. That's how you can fix your circumstances. And at the same time, the Nigerian government is also pushing things like privatization and cutting down on, you know, social welfare, etc., and leaving it more to individuals to sort themselves out. So it's a wonderful coincidence. I mean, I mean, more research into that field would be interesting, but it's a happy coincidence. But in terms of whether I think it has sort of reduced how we hold our governments accountable, I think to a certain extent, very much so, yes. And it's because, again, we feel that, or again, to, I think it's very unconscious, like I said, but if we all hold ourselves responsible for our the outcomes of our lives, right? If that's what the church is telling us and saying it's dependent on our relationship with God, and to a certain extent we internalize that, then we're not looking to hold the government accountable for, for a lot of things that we should be looking to them to do, for example, in the area of wealth creation. We are to some extent, but we could be holding them even more accountable if many people didn't buy into this philosophy of prosperity gospel as much as they do, I think. Just a thought. So I, I agree with you to this point, totally. Now, <laughs> just one paragraph, the last one, mm -hmm. if you had to go, <laughs> sort of brought up the, this disagreement. You okay. actually said, it's maybe time for Nigeria to emulate Rwanda and yep. consider regulating these churches. Yeah. Now, I'm very skeptical about the government stepping into anything. Okay. Especially when it comes to religion. Okay. I do not think that the government should be regulating churches or religion because I think that will, in a sense, stifle freedom and to violate sort of the fundamental rights in the constitution, freedom of religion. Okay. In as much as I disagree with the prosperity gospel, there are other religions that I disagree with, but I don't think the government should regulate them or should sort of control what they do. Okay. So don't you... Do you disagree with me that asking the government, just like Rwanda, to regulate churches and religions and all this? Don't I, you think it will type of freedom and violate their rights? I agree with you to a certain extent, but I would also like you to elaborate on what you mean, like just to just to understand more of your perspective, but how do you think it will stifle sort of freedom and violate fundamental rights? Okay, like, no, the, take examples, for example. No, the constitution clearly says freedom of religion. Religion, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, we agree that the prosperity gospel is not nice. <laughs> Me and you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. there are people who think this is what God demands of them, right? Right. right. They are free to worship God in that as, as it is, you know, sort of as a believe that they they can worship Him or should worship Him. Yeah. Freedom of conscience. 
No. Yeah. The government is made up of people. Yeah. And I believe they're flawed human beings. Yeah. Just like each and every one of us. Uh, now, if we ask the government to step in and regulate something simply because we disagree with it, yeah. what about when others disagree with us? Yeah. I think it kills freedom. Okay. Except if, no, this is, there's another case where people talk about, you know, separation of church and state, you know, using the American terminology. Yeah. When it comes to the church, speaking about things in the in government and all that, people say, oh, don't, separation of church and state. But people still want the government to speak to the state in the church rather than say, you shouldn't do this. Now, if in, if it's if there's truly a separation of church and state, then we should define what that means. And as I said, it might remove the freedom. If I, it would definitely do that. If we look at, okay, look at church, um, countries like China, even in Rwanda, where the government ultimately does this, yeah. People are not free to worship as they want to. Okay. And I don't think anyone wants to live in such a society. I don't know uh -huh. if I sort of made that clear. <laughs> but no, I absolutely see I absolutely see what you're saying. I, they're very, very valid points. Um and I don't disagree with them. But to the angle when I when I suggested sort of more regulations of churches, now this is where I was sort of thinking towards as far as I know, um there are no regulations government government churches or, or religious establishments in nigeria i mean i might be wrong but as far as i know that doesn't exist right and so for me the issue with prosperity gospel or sort of other forms of teaching like that is they're so rampant in nigeria right and they have many of them have become very exploitative of of the most vulnerable people in society there's nothing currently in place to curb that, or to curb that, rather. In suggesting that the government does a little bit more to regulate these churches, I'm talking about putting certain, not necessarily barriers in place, but creating certain hoops that will protect people. Now, any Tom, Dick, and Harry can set up a church in Nigeria. Any Tom, Dick, and Harry, it doesn't matter where you are. I can wake up today and say, I want to set up a church. I dreamt and Jesus came to me and Jesus said, I should set up a church and I'm, I'm a prophetess. And sure you don't invite me, I'm not going to come. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how, you know, I had a divine call. I wake up and open yeah. my voice quarters, start up a church, send out flyers. People start to come. I start to receive funds from these people for whatever reason. I'm saying it's offering that God has demanded. People do this on a monumental scale across Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And of course, people, you know, the innocent worshippers go to these churches, give their money. Who is there to protect them? Now, what Rwanda did, what Rwanda did to a certain extent is try to curb the, the, the ease at which churches are just able to just open or religious establishments are just able to open. No Tom, Dick and Harry can just come and say, I had the divine call and now I'm setting up a church. There are barriers in place that have been put there. For example, there's certain qualifications that you must, or certain trainings that you have to go through to be able to establish a church. And it's just simple things like that. I don't think it ultimately stifles freedom necessarily, but I think 
by creating additional hurdles or even they're not you know legal barriers or whatever you want to call them by creating additional hurdles you'll be able to see out even if not entirely successfully but it would make a difference in terms of being able to control who can set up a church who can take on the responsibility for however many congregants that they have i don't think it's right for anybody to just wake up one day and start to gather funds from the public in the name of I had a divine call. I think things like that should definitely be controlled because right now it is wild in this street. So regulation in that sense. Also, regulation. So so when I talk about regulation, I'm not talking about in terms of the content of what they are preaching, you know, or what, what they are saying to their congregation. I mean, that's a separate discussion. But just in terms of who can set up an establishment and who is fit to conduct an establishment that collects funds from people who are particularly vulnerable. I think they should be protected. And I think the government should be doing more in that aspect, knowing how widely people are defrauded by their churches in Nigeria, and even outside Nigeria as well. So that's one. Two was also this notion of regulating church finances. Now this one is, it, it's, it's harder. It might be a bit idealistic. I don't really know how it's going to work, but it's also just a thought. Um, so in England, I know churches are subject to to churches' charities. While they are not, I mean, they are to an extent regulated by the government. They don't have to pay taxes or whatever, but they are still mandated to provide audits of their accounts. There's nothing like this in Nigeria. So in my article, I talked about how we don't know how much these churches are generating, how we don't know what they use the funds for um, in a number of cases. I think by mandating audits, for example we are going a step further in sort of being able to hold these church leaders more accountable for how they use funds, to understand how they use funds, to see that people are not in fact being exploited. So that's that's what I mean when I talk about regulation, if that clears up anything. It's just really taking more of a firmer grasp mm. on how these churches are established, how they are, how they how they operate, just to protect the vulnerable people at the most vulnerable end of, of society and even higher up it's it's everybody i understand what you, what you mean by that but ultimately this is what i think is actually the answer to the prosperity gospel now one in a sense i don't really think it is the gospel it's definitely not so i at times i find it difficult to actually call it the prosperity gospel to attach you know to sort of dignify it with the word gospel okay but ultimately, I think the only way it can be defeated is if there are more churches that are preaching the, the true gospel. <laughs> that, okay. That's what I think. And yeah. I believe that's ultimately the answer to the prosperity gospel. Uh-huh. And, again, and again, as I said, being skeptical of the yeah. government and never trusting them to get anything done right. Before. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> reality. So I, I, so I my kind point. of the idealistic yeah. <laughs> I, I understand I understand what you mean well, unfortunately we don't live in you know a perfect world and these are some of the things we have to keep keep dealing with and battling mm, absolutely but I think I think I mean again in an ideal world if mm. more quote-unquote true believing churches were set then it might combat you know this whole prosperity gospel notion, but I, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I see that happening. <laughs> I don't know if I see that because many of these churches that I would consider, you know, strong prosperity gospel churches, or they would also consider themselves strong Bible-believing churches. And they will always be able to, whenever religion is involved, you would always be able to cause some manipulation mm-hmm. of people's lives in the name of faith. And so, honestly, I don't know if there's, there's any answer <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, because, I mean, for, for all some people care about, we are wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like, prosperity gospel is the absolute truth. And so, while we may be, I guess, somewhat trying to be objective in seeing that it does cause a lot of harm, mm-hmm. not everybody would necessarily believe that. And so, I think, really, in an ideal situation, it should be up to the government to step in to protect to protect people whilst of course recognizing and again preserving their freedoms to whatever they want to believe but then just also making sure that you know there's there's some there's some structures in place that are there for their protection because religion is not religion as it as it operates now is not more about your faith right it's there's money involved now there's vast amounts of money involved there's huge amounts of money involved but nobody knows what that money is being used for where it's going you know we just know it exists and it's for good all right i guess we'll, we'll leave it at that yeah thanks a lot for your time um thank you for having me yeah, I'm sure you have a uh, social media account or website where people can sort of find out more about you. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I still work for Stifford Stairs, so obviously please visit the Stairs um, NG website just to see new articles. They mm-hmm. come out like lots of brilliant writers contribute mm-hmm. amazing things, um, not just on religion, but there's a whole lot more. Um, and you can follow my Twitter account, which is at double underscore O. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. I guess we'll talk some other time about maybe something else. Or <laughs> something more. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot.